Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with Holly, Livia and Charlotte. Hi. Hello. Hello everybody. Uh, you've all been on the podcast before, so I don't think there's any need for introductions today. It's nice to have you all here again. Um, yeah, alright, let's just start right off. The topic was suggested by Olivia, thank you. And the topic of this discussion panel is, well, it's uh, a piece of advice. There's this advice to young writers, what you fear to write most about, write about that. And I want to ask you, what do you think of this advice? <laughs> do you follow it? Would you like to follow it? Do you think it's a bad idea? Well, I remember a while ago when I um, basically bumped into that um, piece of advice, I was slightly shocked because I thought, um, like, I must have done the writing wrong all over till now because <laughs> <laughs> I most definitely avoided writing about certain topics and on the other hand I, I found it sort of like um, nice in a sense that it would open up new like fields and areas to work on and also because sometimes when you write um, you've reached a point at which you sort of tend to use the same words all over again and you sort of circle around the same topics so mm -hmm. at that point I thought Hey, that's nice. No, you know, it's it's probably like it adds um, a huge number of new topics I could write about. <laughs> Though they've been here all the time, but I just didn't consider writing them. So you weren't aware of all the topics that you avoided writing about before you heard that piece of advice? Yeah, I think, I guess if you're afraid of writing about something, you would just not write about it. I don't know, perhaps you do it differently and you're more sort of like risk-taking in that sense. Um, it depends, it's really interesting because um, at the moment I'm reading a novel by John Irving, it's called Widow for a Year, and the protagonist is a writer, a novelist, and she's a lot of the times confronted with people who criticize her for writing a book about things that she has not experienced and they say you're not allowed to write about the, these things because you have no idea what they feel like because you aren't, I don't know, you weren't sexually harassed or you weren't, you're not a widow or you don't have children but you keep writing about these things. And to me that was really interesting because to some extent I get that criticism but to some I also don't because as a writer it's your job to invent things and be use your empathy and... and try to think how somebody would feel in that moment. But yeah, I mean, it's always, I think, a slippery slope to not offend people mm. by what you write. Very true. Well, I think there are at least two different ways of reading this. Like, the one option is to see it as um, basically something you're afraid to write about because you don't know enough about it. I think that there are sometimes those discussions about is, um, I don't know, white male um, upper class author allowed to write about a black lower class girl. That is an mm. extreme case and it's also a bit stereotypical, but um, I think that is the one option. And the other one is sometimes we're afraid to write about things because we 
they are too intimate or too mm-hmm. personal. Mm-hmm. And actually, we know a lot about these. Mm-hmm. So they would allow to sort of dig deep into them and produce a lot. It's like there's one poem I wrote a while ago, it's in German, but that's a poem I could never read at a reading because it's too personal and I wouldn't want to do that, which is kind of a shame because I really like it and I I mean the person it's directed to has read it, so that's fine, that's all I I intended for. But yeah, that's I mean, important, yeah. Those are, there are there are pieces or texts that are so personal that you don't want to share them or that you don't even can't even write them, I guess. When I first heard the piece of advice, I thought of it more as the second interpretation where it's talking about your fear as a person, not necessarily what you're afraid of physically writing, like what you're most I don't know what your fears or those kinds of intimate feelings you have that should drive your writing. And I think I definitely try to do that, but it doesn't mean it has to be so direct that it's me saying my personal experience. I feel like you can explore a fear or a flaw that you may find or something that you struggle with within yourself through fictional characters, a fictional place, you know, completely different language, a totally different time period, a different, you know, race or gender of a protagonist, those, I think, as long as you're staying true to what you know, and it being this fear, this flaw, or whatever is driving that story, then it's legitimate, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you're just writing a fluff piece, you know, trying to, yeah, pretend to be somebody else Mm -hmm. and pretend to understand a different scenario, I think that's dangerous and which is why the criticism you're talking about mm-hmm. Charlotte I think makes a lot of sense in that yeah I think you have to dig a little deeper you have mm-hmm. to know the motivation for the writer you know is the character in this novel is she writing about these things you know with not having kids not being a widow not experiencing sexual assault because maybe there are similarities and emotions between her characters and her that aren't yeah okay on paper this didn't happen to me this way but I still felt violated or I still felt loss or mm-hmm. I still felt responsibility you know and I think that is good advice to tell a writer to explore you know what are you most afraid of tackling mm-hmm. and now you can have the freedom to deal with it any way you want in your writing it doesn't have to be you know my name is Holly this is my biggest fear period. <laughs> <laughs> that's not helpful <laughs> that's true like I, I very much agree with what you just said and I what came to my mind um was basically like, actually, as a question to all of you, do, do you think there's a difference between like poetry and fiction? Like, I I would assume poetry oftentimes is non-fictional, right? While prose can be both fictional and non-fictional, but at least, say, regarding Holly's pieces, they are fictional primarily so I wonder whether there's like a difference there because when I will say I put some sort of fear into my poetry it will mean automatically that it's my fear and not a character's fear which is much more direct and which means I will sort of reveal it more more openly or more directly perhaps I don't know I have to say that what I find so challenging and beautiful about poetry is that it's you're using language to do that more than I think in prose where you do play with language, but there's a lot more text there. You're dealing with characters and conflict and, 
you know, the rising and falling actions and all that kind of stuff. And I think I, when I think of poetry, even if I read an author's poem, I don't think I've just, it's not so easy. You can't identify that fear. The first time you read a poem, you really have to kind of think about what do these images mean? What does this language mean? And I find it really difficult to analyze poetry for that reason, because it's not flat out, you know? And I think, I think that's a similarity there that writing in general, whether it be prose or poetry, you do, you're playing with language or these elements of writing that can kind of mask a very personal experience. Mm -hmm. And um, almost the more you mask it, maybe the more masterful it is. I don't know if if it's very obvious. And I don't know, sometimes Mm -hmm. I think it's not so challenging to do, but I don't know. Mm I guess I would sometimes like to write about a specific fear, but not have people know that it's my fear. <laughs> so basically, um, put it into a different character's mind or personality, mm-hmm. um, which I fail to do with poetry, I must say. Is there a way to do this in poetry? I'm struggling to think. I don't know. Perhaps if you say, like, this is poetry from... What we're also trying to do now with um, Holly's piece, To Be Hair, to write from poetry from the character's mm-hmm. perspective. Oh, yeah. Then it's a way of trying to read the character and putting words into the character's mouth without actually being directly, like linking that directly to your own fears, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. That that's would work. a rare case, though. It's a bit meta. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing that that springs to mind for me is there's this Robert Frost poem I think uh, about a couple who've lost a child. Does it ring a bell for anybody? No. Mm. There's like proper characters in there, but I don't know how exactly he does it. Well, couldn't you write about I? I don't know. I don't write poetry, but when I'm thinking about how I would do this in prose, you know, I see a real life observation, like something I have mm-hmm. actually experienced. And maybe I didn't, I wasn't physically the person doing the thing, but I'm sitting on a park bench mm-hmm. watching an interaction and I have inserted my own interpretation of what they're doing and what they're feeling into those people. And then that will drive what I write about them. So I don't see why you couldn't also write a poem about those people. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. as as an author, you are observing, you, you're restricted to your own perspective. And I think if I, if I were to imagine writing poetry, I don't think, I think I would really struggle writing what's inside uh-huh. in, in a poem. I think it would be easier for me to write about the weather and then the way that I personify <laughs> the weather says something about how I'm feeling, okay. you know, but not like this is how I feel. I, I see it as kind of a reverse... No, I think for me it's the other way around, which is maybe why I feel my poetry is so egocentric. Because <laughs> it's always just about me. That's just my perspective. There's no other people. There's even hardly any other people in there. I hardly ever interact with my poem with anybody. Yeah, but every writer is an ego, has an, you know, a big ego because yeah. you're giving power to your words on paper. You know, I feel that way about writing fictional characters. Mm-hmm. Like, why... Why do people care? Why do I create these people? You know, it's like playing a weird god game. You know, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's unavoidable. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, I, I think it, it might um, be able, like one might be able to influence that by sort of changing 
and the person you're writing in, like if you're writing in the third person, then it's sort of it might be an observation of yourself still, but it could also like it kind of suggests you're observing someone else. So um, I remember once writing a poem about um, a woman I met in a waiting room for the dentist, I think. And she told me about her life and then I put that into a poem. <laughs> but how would I then manage to sort of add my fears or the things I'm afraid to write from my perspective to someone completely different? I think that is what I find so challenging. Well, could that be an instance where maybe this other interpretation of the quote or advice could mm-hmm. be taken, like, whereas the actual composition, how to write about someone else and someone else's experience is what's kind of mm-hmm. diff- challenging or mm-hmm. scary to do. So maybe you don't have fear in that. Fear is a kind of a big word, and I kind of want to talk about what that even means. Yeah, you know? that, but that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I, when you're describing writing that, it doesn't sound like it was easy for you to do, especially mm-hmm. if more often you're writing from... Yeah. Are you, do you write mostly from a first-person perspective? Yeah, probably, but also I would say I write a lot um, like poems to people, and then I would mainly write in the second person, actually. Um, I mean, you could switch to third person, and if you... What sometimes happens is when you write something from third person and you use... I don't know, she or her, mm-hmm. people might think, okay, she's talking about herself, but mm-hmm. tries to cleverly disguise it by saying mm-hmm. she exactly. or her. That's but then you could just say he, mm-hmm. or we, or they, or you, you could use any kind of pronoun, actually, sure. and then... Or avoid pronouns entirely. Yes. yes. That would be don't a challenge. <laughs> just don't, <laughs> don't use words. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just stare intently. Just one noise. Yeah. <laughs> or use a name instead of a pronoun. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, I mean, the question is why do I even want to disguise that? Why is it not fine enough to write about that from my perspective? I mean, how do you feel about writing about things that are that you're just afraid to write about, say very intimate um, feelings or situations or embarrassing situations um, things that are just not accepted in society or culturally stigmatized I don't know I don't think there's anything I don't write about for me I think it's rather I make the decision after the fact about whether I share that piece of writing I see I have mm-hmm. I've got a lot of things in my archive that mm-hmm. I, I've never share but then again the criteria of what I'd share also change sometimes there's things that I thought I'd never share but then later I feel more okay about them Mm -hmm. I'm I'm okay with sharing them as well also with very personal things I for me it's more like when I experience something that I know I want to write about Mm -hmm. I can never do it right away there always has to be a time that passes. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. I recently wrote a poem about something that happened five years ago, mm-hmm. and I was only now able to write about it. So I guess that can help. There can be one way of doing it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It doesn't always work. There are other things that I still can't really write about that I want to, and they are from my early childhood. Um, maybe I will never be able to. Maybe 
I, I don't know, in 10 years or tomorrow or some other time, I get up at night and I say, okay, I, have, I know how to write this now, and then I write it. Kind of, mm. I don't know. I hardly ever write about anything that happened this long ago, which I have the tendency of just purposefully forgetting things. <laughs> So it's healthy. Yeah, yeah it's, I don't know if it's very healthy, but I do it a lot. I'm very, I'm very good at it. There's just one thing. Sometimes when something I'm experience, I experience now, kind of plays on or echoes in something I experienced back then, uh, then maybe I'd, I'd pull that memory back. But otherwise, I would just leave that in the past. Well, I also think that is kind of. It's making me think because this idea that you should have a certain thing that you're thinking about before you write, I mean, I can't just sit down at a table and say, it's writing time. <laughs> what am I going to write about? Yeah. That's unrealistic. Yeah. Who does that? You know. And if you do, it's, it's usually not any good. If I want to write something, it doesn't come out the way I wanted it. But if I... Yeah, I guess if you surrender to how you're feeling in a moment, then it usually comes mm -hmm. much more naturally. Like if something happens and now I'm, ooh, I really want to write, you know, I'll pull out my phone or my notebook or scribble, you know, on a napkin. I just, I need to write right now. And that is not always in a moment where you're experiencing any kind of depth or fear. Sometimes it is just yeah. an observation or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's interesting to think that maybe... It's an interesting um, assignment to say that all of your writing should have like this level of depth to them, you know, mm. and that is restrictive, you know, mm. and I find it kind of hard to believe by definition, if you have fears from your childhood or you have things that you're trying to forget or, you know, something you're afraid of, you don't want to think about it. So the chances you're thinking, mm. you're even aware of your own fears to write about them. That's like a whole other thing. I'm sitting here thinking, what am I afraid to write about? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I yeah, I can't think of what I'm afraid to write about because I probably don't want to think about what yeah. I'm afraid oh, about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I I thought about that yesterday. Um, what am I afraid to write about? And I guess I I can come up with a few very concrete things. Um, I would say that so something that. I wouldn't want to write about is or again as Leo said probably write about yeah maybe but not share it is anything that's related to bodily functions just because <laughs> I don't know people generally don't appreciate that mm -hmm. <laughs> people seem to regard that as something very personal people probably sometimes violate it by reading those things I don't know um other things, are, um, like I guess anything that has to do with sexuality is probably also a taboo. Um, to like, okay, on the one hand we've got these um, ancient Greek um, and Roman um, philosophers slash poets who wrote about love and described beautiful bodies and all that, but then it's it is something so intimate and so personal that people wouldn't generally share it or want to have someone else to share it. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> yeah. I think to, to an extent I agree with you, but I also think if we keep avoiding these topics, they will always stay taboos. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not sure if that's something I, I want to do because, I mean, bodily functions, everybody has them and they're totally normal, but we never talk about them. Exactly. And that's so strange sometimes because, I mean, how many men are there who think that women don't even, like, poop? I mean, so there are so many who actually think that. <laughs> women poop? <laughs> Seriously? Kind of on a similar topic, though, I have a project I've always wanted to do because it would be so inappropriate, which is to just... I have four sisters. I just want to write about all of us getting our periods and all of the nasty stuff that women go through. Like, I mean, nasty. There are things that, you know, women don't want to talk about with other women. There are things that, like, girls don't feel comfortable talking about with their mothers, you know, mm -hmm. things like pregnancy and menstruation and, you know, all the like straight up nasty mm -hmm. stuff. And it's only gross because we don't talk about those mm -hmm. things. And I think that can create a world where, you know, I'm a 12 year old girl. I get my period for the first time. I don't even know what's happening mm -hmm. because it has never been talked to me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm afraid of this thing. And, you know, I not saying that like, I think, you know, one story by me could change, you know, a world <laughs> of, yeah, I'm not saying that, yeah, but I think, it can be fun to actually explore those mm -hmm. like things that nobody wants to talk about. I love writing things that nobody wants to talk about. I find it really easy, actually. Mm -hmm. Like I could write a story about my sisters and I growing up in the same household and like our cycles being synced and mm -hmm. the mess of the bathroom. Like mm -hmm. six hundred pages done, <laughs> and no, no, no one's gonna want to read it. But like, I feel like there is a fun challenge there, and um, it is addressing a part of yourself that like. I'm actually not so sure if nobody would read it, because if you think about I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the last 10 years, I think, there was a kind of very scandalous German book called Feuchtgebiete, which was basically very... Um, I, I didn't read it, so all I'm saying is second-hand knowledge, so I might be wrong. <laughs> I haven't read it either. It was about, <laughs> about a young girl talking about that, I mean, masturbation and what turns her on and that very weird and gross things turn her on like when she buys a falafel she likes it when there's sperm in there and things like that that were really scandalous and really shocking and it was a bestseller and it, it went so well I mean a lot of it got a lot of criticism as well but I think there is a need or an interest in people to read about these topics because everybody Yeah, like I said, everybody has bodily functions and everybody thinks about them and everybody is kind of yeah occupied by them. And then I think there is menstruation. Would mm -hmm. may, that's a very stigmatized topic, though. I, I agree. Because a lot of men are like, I don't want to talk about that, no. A lot of women, too. Yeah, know? but I mean, for them, it's yeah. not as bad, I think, because they have it every month. <laughs> they can't deny that. But yeah, I think we have to, we should actually write more about menstruation because it's totally normal and a part of life and yeah it sucks sometimes it sucks a lot sometimes but still it's yeah part well of and life. i think um one advice i got from a workshop i did from a published author he writes young adult fiction and it's he's received criticism because it's a little maybe raunchy there's a sex scene or they're doing drugs or there's suicide and there's something that parents don't want their teenagers reading about but this is teenagers lives mm -hmm. so you have to stay true enough to reality and mm -hmm. you have to talk about some of these gross things but then there are moments where is it aiding the story like at least in mm -hmm. prose you know is you know do you need a sex scene here what is it doing with the characters mm -hmm. are you just trying to shock and wow because really that's weak mm -hmm. that's not that's 
Mm-hmm. That's not ex- exploring any kind of meta something. That's not exploring <laughs> fears or insecurities or coming of age. That's just teenagers mm-hmm. having sex, and that serves nothing. Mm-hmm. But if you're tell- trying to tell a story about a girl who's you know dealing with, you know, let's say okay, a girl has daddy issues, and you know she sleeps around, and maybe this is a mm-hmm. subject of this story, mm-hmm. and it's a trope. I know, but I'm saying like that is something that could aid a character in their mm-hmm. story and to not talk about it would be wrong. But then to just write about a girl who sleeps around and it not mean mm-hmm. or do anything, mm-hmm. that's kind of, I think, false. And then it shouldn't be discussed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about a book where it's like, oh my gosh, look at my period, uh, look at all my bloody tampons, like some gross mm-hmm. something. <laughs> but like, that's the real part of, you know, becoming a woman and growing up and mm-hmm. I think the same could be said about, you know, boys during this time are also exploring mm-hmm. their bodies in a way that is not only ta- is only talked about in a really vulgar, pornographic mm-hmm. way, which mm-hmm. I don't think is fair. Um, so there's there's lots of things to explore that, that are kind of scary to write about because of the reception, which is mm-hmm. one thing we're talking about. How would people receive mm-hmm. the thing you're writing? Mm-hmm. Another is, yeah, okay, am I going to really talk about these, like, the most gruesome time of my childhood? Ah, that's scary. You know, do I even remember it accurately? <laughs> There's lots of scary things to be written about, and I think um, if you uh, can do it, I think it is probably a more powerful piece than something that isn't a little uh, scary to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you said before about not being aware of what you don't write about because you're not aware of your fears is very poignant. Only now I think I'm becoming aware. Now that mm-hmm. I think more of it, I'm becoming aware of things that I don't write about, even though there is things I write about and then not share, I guess mm-hmm. there's like a big percentage of stuff that I just don't write about mm-hmm. also. And it's really fun if you read something someone else has written um, that you would have never thought to write about or that you connect, I mean that's why it's fun to read, right? You read another you know, poem or story novel, whatever, and you find some part of yourself in that story that you didn't think to write about, and maybe you have a deeper connection with it because it's something that you're afraid to access yourself. So sometimes I think if you can take that on as an author or as a writer, then you're also opening the door for a reader to connect with something that they cannot so easily access that you've now put into writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely allows for identification if you put in something that's just universal, but people as a rule, try to hide, because um, sometimes even I think characters can feel or seem incomplete because they lack something so fundamentally human, Mm -hmm. and they just seem to be, you know, nice and tidy and neat, and as we also partly see, like, in poetry from, I don't know, like, Renaissance poetry, um, women smelling like roses, having like mm-hmm. golden hair and all that, and it's like, uh, how should anyone actually relate to that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a bit too far off, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with any stereotype, that's yeah. the case. I mean, yeah, would be the same if you would say all men smell very, really bad all the time and all they do is drink beer and mm-hmm. go to the toilet and poop uh, very yeah. loudly. I mean, it's yeah. just it's <laughs> stupid. It's just stupid. Yeah, I feel like it has to be a realistic mix of different things, like positive and negative ones. Yeah. Um, but generally, I, I feel like 
obviously part of that is also that we try to represent ourselves as um, mo in the most like likable fashion, right? Because the, the way we want to be perceived, we want our characters to be perceived most of the time, unless they are a defined antagonist from the beginning. Uh, tend to be, um, I feel that's no, that's, that's an overgeneralization. Some some authors manage to do that to have like a more diversified, um, like I find especially in your in latest piece, like Julie Hare, the characters are also like multidimensional in that sense. They are, they have flaws and they, they are like the one character like wearing t-shirt with ketchup. Um, Spots that's just <laughs> very nice. <laughs> no, but it's interesting what you've just said because I think, um, yeah, there are people who, uh, people not just writers, you know, who function trying to please and trying to pass and trying to fit mm -hmm. in. And I think I identify more with people who are desperate to be different, which is like just as polarizing and just as shallow in a way you know and which is why Julie Hare is fun to write because all my characters are trying to be different they're trying to be gross or dirty or angry or they want to hate the world for some reason but maybe they have none and it's the same as like acting like everything's okay when you have a million reasons something's not and I think you're right there needs to be a bit of a balance um yeah in life as people and also in writing <laughs> But I would say that it's not, I don't think it's always the case that people try and play it safe. I think I'm actually more at danger of playing it too unsafe, being too, you know, doing too much mm -hmm. and being too fearful, you know, like mm -hmm. make, taking too many risks so that it kind of, you know, if you have a meadow full of blue flowers, it's not pretty anymore. But if you have one blue flower in a meadow of yellow, then the blue flower is beautiful, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you want to have that kind of color to your writing mm -hmm. where there's sprinkles of everything. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, I definitely think I took that from somebody else, so I won't take credit for that thought. <laughs> oh, no. Don't quote her on that. <laughs> Some professor somewhere said, your writing is too blue. <laughs> for poetry, I think it's difficult because characterization of the speaker isn't as well-rounded because you really get like mostly you're going to get like a view of one specific aspect whether that aspect be likable or not and I don't think at least for me being likable I don't think is a criterion for the speaker for the poem to be good the speaker can also be you know hypocritical or I don't know childish annoying you know could you also explore that though in like um, choice, like choices of words and phrases, like choosing a more familiar image or phrase versus one that is totally foreign? You know, like if I read a poem and I can't identify with anything I've just read, you know, every word is new to not new words, but just everything is so different and so playing on colloquialisms the whole mm -hmm. time that I'm now lost versus reading something that maybe is not particularly great, where it's just kind of, I don't know, cliche after cliche after mm -hmm. cliche. You know, I maybe, I don't know, I imagine that in poetry you could play with your the voice of the narrator, of the character, of the poet, whatever, um, by the words that you 
choose, which I find so terrifying because you have so few, so fewer words. Like you, it's so yeah. many choice. Every word is a choice. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about the words. I think it's definitely uh, like a uh, a thin line that you're walking, especially like as far as pi- pictures are concerned that you use. You don't want to be too cliche, but you also want them don't want them to be too outlandish. Mm-hmm. That's something I've had a lot recently. I've been reading a lot of poetry, and sometimes there's poems that's one picture after another, and I often don't know what these pictures are telling me, and then it's really hard to get through the poem because I can't relate at all. I don't know what they're on about. Mm-hmm. So you want them to be you want them to be kind of novel. You don't want them to be, you know, really the standard kind of phrase, I don't know, I was so blue or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you also want something that's understandable for the reader, that's not like I was feeling yellow. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, feeling yellow is maybe understandable still, but you know, something that's you know not understandable. Mm-hmm. I think um, often <clears throat> I can only speak for myself actually, but what I tend to do, or I tend to fall into the trap of um, not so much exploring different voices, but rather um, maintaining the same all over again, which is my voice. Um, so that would definitely be something to look into and to experiment a little bit with to mm-hmm. see um, how I could sort of build up a character that's like a character who's probably also based on myself but say only for like 20 or 30 percent mm-hmm. and the rest is new and different. Um, I- um, I think I know what you mean, and I've recently tried to change perspective and also ch- to change tense, mm-hmm. which has worked out quite nicely. I mean, not in a story that I'm showing you, but in other stories that I've written in the summer. And that was really nice because I really liked the outcome, and I was really surprised that it works really well. I just didn't think of doing that before. Um, so I guess that's something one can do. But then again, I think it's never possible to... Um, shake off your voice completely mm. and I don't think it has to be mm. because like like Holly said before, writing is you commenting on something that you experience or see or watch but you can never I mean you can't get rid of yourself <laughs> I think there's an important distinction of between your voice as a writer which is something you want to find and voice as a viewpoint you could also yeah. write about different viewpoints from with your own voice. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important distinction that's to true. make. I also think it's incredibly hard. Like this is advice. It was advice for young writers or new writers mm-hmm. or people. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, us. Um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, there's a benefit to exploring all the things that don't come naturally which is kind of what it's saying, not necessarily always scary, but like what's not natural. But once you find that voice and maybe you've said, Charlie, you've just found, you know, uh, something that's working really well Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have found if you didn't push yourself. Mm -hmm. And you may discover that's your strength. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know. Like, I didn't think to ever write humor. And then I started writing humor Mm -hmm. and it was well received. And I challenged myself to do that because I thought, oh, I'm not funny. And then it ended up actually okay. (laughs) And... 
now I'm feeling, oh, this is, this is kind of what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Not like forever, but like, this is, this is actually working for me. So I think it can help in those early stages and always improving your craft and finding your voice. But I also think it is incredibly, incredibly important to hold on to your voice that once you've established your voice as a writer, like what, what drives you, I wouldn't say falsify that or change that, Mm -hmm. you know, you write for, for some certain reason and you need to stay true to that in order to you know have a biography for yourself to have something to come back to like mm-hmm. why why are you writing like we talked about before it can feel so egotistical like what do I have to share mm-hmm. well I have my own very unique experience and voice and it's really hard to get there and find it in a complete way but I think once we do it's really powerful so like you can always be playing with what you write about and how you write about things but I wouldn't say I wouldn't encourage someone who's starting to write that they should try and change their voice. I would say once mm-hmm. you've found something that feels natural to you, that works, that is why you're doing this, I would say stick to it. Mm-hmm. And I assume that that's happening because it's coming from a bit of a deeper place that you've already investigated quite a few mm-hmm. different ways to go. You know? Mm. Well, no, right now I'm kind of exploring a different kind of side the poem going to read tonight is a bit more, you know, it's funny, which is something I don't usually do. <laughs> yeah. It surprised me a bit when I saw the title. I was, wait, is that really written by Leo? It sounds a bit like Philip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how far my voice carries into that, and or maybe whether I have different voices for di- writing different things. But I just, yeah going back to like where you get that from I think there's so many different things inside yourself that you can explore and for me at least the useful slogan is always write what you know mm-hmm. and I think there's lots of things you know within yourself and yeah that's you don't really need to you don't need to to kind of take care of somebody else's experience you've got your own and that's probably what you should stick to. That's that's a question that I've been asking myself quite a bit lately. Are there things that you can imagine so well that you can say, I do not have to experience this in order to have an opinion or in order to be able to write about that? Or is that not possible? What do you think about that? I think if you're able to imagine something, if you're able to identify with something whether you've created it yourself or you've watched some movie show read a book in a world that you have no connection to but you found something I think that means there is something inside of you that connects to it I mean I think everybody's the same at the end of the day we have okay maybe everyone has different fears when we write them down on a paper maybe we have different passions but we still have fear we still have passion and if you're going to write about a fearful passionate character Mm -hmm. You have fears, you have passion, why can't you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, logistically, yeah, it's scary. You know, mm-hmm. am I going to write about a place or a person I know nothing about? That's difficult mm-hmm. in a very logistical way. But I think I think anybody could be allowed to write about anything as long as they don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, just exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. I think it's, re- it's, it's really difficult. I've been reading a lot on Twitter about, um, the Canadian indigenous experience. It's really the the uh, 
stuff that you find on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I know. Is that the number one topic? No, not oh. really. I, f- I follow some. I follow a couple of Canadian academics oh. <laughs> from a podcast that I uh, I listen to, and they they talk about that. And how there's there's big writers in Canadian literature who are all white, mm-hmm. and they sometimes, or I think one of them predominantly writes about indigenous cultures mm. with indigenous characters mm-hmm. and sets them in the culture and he, as far as I've heard he doesn't always quite get it right mm. and he has a very white perspective on it and he's so well sold and you know he's like he's he's portrayed in the media as the voice of the mm. Canadian indigenous experience mm-hmm. and on the other hand that there's indigenous authors who actually have that experience who don't who don't uh, get that kind of limelight, mm-hmm. and he 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 says he can speak he can speak for the indigenous experience. He says he can do that because he's talked to people and he can imagine himself into that. And what I've heard people say, and I think that was very smart, is sure you can write about stuff that you don't know anything about because you're not part of it. Like I don't know an indigenous group or um, I don't know, sexual assault, but Maybe it would be better if you wrote about your own approach to those to those things. If you're a man writing about sexual assault, or women being sexually assaulted, I know your experience, writing about your experience of other men, how they talk about it, mm-hmm. or how you feel if somebody tells you about that, about that, mm-hmm. and don't kind of uh, occupy, don't don't think you can speak for women. Or like for the Canadian indigenous experience, write about how you, as a white man, as a settler there, feel uh, interacting with with indigenous people and feel about your heritage as a descendant of colonizers, and don't say you can write for those people. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big tangent. I've been thinking about this a lot. I know. Sorry. No, I, I think that that's uh, exactly like a question that I think that's on almost everyone's mind who tries to write about things they haven't experienced. And I once um, saw a short film called Home, and it was about um, <clears throat> basically um, refugees having to leave their homes, but the refugees. So it was more like a um, reverse situation. So the refugees were originally, it was set in the UK and they had to leave the UK suddenly and go to somewhere in, I don't know, probably um, the Middle East or somewhere. So they basically reversed the situation. Um, and then I wrote a poem about um, that movie because it, I found it, very touching and I I started it with I think something like imagine you would suddenly have to pack it all or something like that and then I thought am I allowed I mean I I've never experienced that I I want to sort of show my my sympathy and I do think that I've got um, a high level of empathy in general but it's never the same as actually experiencing that. So where do I draw the line and where do... Um, on the other hand, if we start sort of 
restricting ourselves and not allowing ourselves to write about certain things, it's a bit like limiting our freedom of expression in a way, not because what I think is, like, for example, with your example, um, the Canadian indigenous culture um, is portrayed through the eyes of someone else who is then has got the privilege to sell lots of copies and who has the right contacts to apparently become rich through by using this sort of content he doesn't know well enough um, and by that also constructs a certain picture that's then related to the indigenous group of people um, and I think one should be aware of what effects those writings can have. If it's just a poem I share with like 10 friends, they might think, yeah, that's, that's kind of cute, you try to, you know, like, you showed your empathy for that. But if, if I were a like, famous, popular author and then I would write about these things, it could sort of shape the general cultural construction of this topic. So I think it depends on the influence you've got as well. Just I just, I mean, I don't really like the thought of, I mean, of course, I get it when people are offended when somebody writes about something they have experienced when the writer hasn't. But you said that, I think, a little bit. But sometimes I'm really just so moved by something that I want to write about it just because it hurts me that some that someone else is suffering and I, I heard their story or I watched something or read a book and then I think it would be a shame if I weren't allowed to write about that of course yeah I mean my emotion that I have already kind of suggests that I'm not trying to offend people I guess but I don't know, I don't, I don't, I think it's really difficult because, yeah, yeah who, who, who says what is allowed and what isn't, and mm -hmm. yes, there will always be people who, who like what you write and people who, who don't like it, and there will always be criticism, and that's something writers, especially once they're published and become famous, um, have to deal with. I mean, in this case, you can write about what that, what, what hearing about this particular thing, whatever that thing be, Make you feel, and then you yeah. can show you can show your empathy for that, and also promote the topic when you're yeah. still staying within your bounds. Because I'm also thinking if nobody writes about these things, because the people who have actually experienced it can't for whatever reasons they might have. I'm also thinking if it's kind of it's dangerous because then nobody talks about it and nobody mm -hmm. writes about it. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that I'd rather have somebody write about it who is obnoxious and pretends to know everything about it and they are kind of yeah, writing it for indigenous people, mm -hmm. even though they aren't an indigenous person. But still, I'm, I'm wondering, wouldn't these or a lot of topics get lost in literature if nobody writes about them? For instance, with um, learning disabilities like dyscalculia, I would love it if people would write about it, even if they didn't have it, but just to read about it and, and see, okay, there's somebody writing about it so that it becomes more known or more popular. Maybe they got the facts wrong, too bad, 
someone else will write about it and will do it better, or I might write about it and I'll do it better. Yeah, I think um, as long as there's the awareness of um, I might like I might have got things wrong, I might have insulted people, I might have I might be totally mistaken if people tell me I will, you know, accept criticism and I won't regard this as the complete whole truth um, and especially not as um, like the single truth but just there are many ways of seeing things I think then um, but things shouldn't be forbidden to be written about that sounds a bit like censorship to me want to add once more say, to what you said I think in this case the topic I, the, the example I brought is not that there's nobody writing about it there's loads of people writing about mm -hmm. it they're just not read mm -hmm. because I they're see. not yeah. in the scene mm -hmm. I see. that is another that's a different topic yeah again about like power structures and who has access to the writing yeah. market right rather than it's, it's all about money and then it just doesn't seem right that someone mm -hmm. would, would be read some who actually knows less about the topic. It's mm -hmm. I think it's also a discussion about, you know, what is the purpose of writing, because um, if you're regarding it as an art form and a mode of expression, then does where you grew up, how old you are, you know, your demographics, are we really going to dive into that of every single person, which I think is yet fair to do, especially, you know, you don't, what am I trying to say? I think, for instance, there's a big difference between, you know, nonfiction or reporting and journalism versus creative writing, mm -hmm. right? I think we're kind of talking about something between the lines and um, creative writing, I think, lends itself to being a lot more free in that you mm -hmm. can write. You're not writing necessarily. It's because it's bound in a book written by one person. I think it's kind of also up to a reader to know that this is subjective mm -hmm. and not objective even if you read a history book who mm -hmm. published this mm -hmm. even when you go and watch news which is why it's frustrating that people can be so stupid mm -hmm. to believe the first thing they read mm -hmm. and i think that if you're if an author feels responsibility to accurately represent everything and to be the most politically correct socially conscious person mm -hmm. you're just going to like wither and you're mm -hmm. not going to write anything mm -hmm. because you'll you'll have every reason that something's wrong nothing's ever going to be perfect nothing's going to be objective nothing i don't think anything can be objective mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I even think that scientific studies can't be mm -hmm. objective you know who mm -hmm. funded this who mm -hmm. did this what universities mm -hmm. who's who's funding this program you know what does this result who does this help mm -hmm. i think everything's a lot more complicated than that and i have faith that a reader knows that and learns that so if they pick up if they were to pick up a book a text of mine and i wrote um i'm not saying anything as big as writing about a different experience of a different culture i'm even if i the story i'm writing about now is undergrad students i haven't even finished or a postgraduate students i haven't finished my undergraduate studies mm -hmm. so i don't know what that's like mm -hmm. i spent one year in colorado boulder does that mean i have a whole knowledge of this town no <laughs> but i'm playing with my experience. I'm playing with what I've experienced. And if someone picks it up and thinks that this should be a guidebook to this kind of person mm -hmm. in this setting, I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you're an author and you say, I represent the voices of, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. But I regard at least creative writing to be much more, I don't like journalism because you mm -hmm. do have that pressure. Mm -hmm. And in creative writing and poetry and prose, you can 
play with this. This is a way of expression, you know. It's the difference between documentary photographers or filmmakers and artists and galleries. There's you're working with the same medium, you know, we're still writing words on pages, but what we're doing with them and the freedoms we have, I think, is much bigger than that. Hmm. I think something you can do is ask the people you and that's also just that's the quality of writing issue ask the people you write about I don't know if you're a beginning writer as a man you're writing female characters if you're writing I don't know non-binary characters ask them talk to them and listen to them what that experience is like and then you can then include and try the best you can to include them in your writing and I like that too because I think that um, talks about how writing can be a conversation Mm -hmm. that like even your finished product is still in conversation with something or someone Mm. but I mean essentially I think that's what writing creative writing comes comes down to it's about listening listening to other people to things around you to be aware of your surroundings to really observe and listen and try, it's not possible, but try not to be too subjective. But I mean, it's a subjective experience that you get when you listen, but it doesn't necessarily have to be yours. Mm. Or just so, own your subject. Yes, own but it, I, I mean, listening is such a big part, and I keep realizing how bad most people are that I know <laughs> at listening, oh, yeah. at really listening to someone else without, in a conversation, without thinking about the next thing you're going to say mm-hmm. before the other one is finished. And I think it sounds so easy, like everybody would say, yeah, sure, I listen to other to people when they talk, but actually often we don't. And I think it's really essential for us as writers to really, really listen and observe and just watch and look at things and people and, yeah. Especially yeah. because then someone just goes and reads you without any response you know mm-hmm. like we read and share things in groups which is really fun and exciting but like a writer's goal is to have something published which okay you receive criticism but it's mm-hmm. not some you're now having someone sit down and re- read your writing why like i see what you're saying mm-hmm. so that you've come to a point where you've listened you've you know looked around your surroundings you've created this thing mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. also an interesting thing in literary analysis and also in, if you're doing historiography is looking at how people might might have come to have those experiences what what were the circumstances at their time as a historian for instance mm-hmm. that people made the, those experiences what are societal structures behind that not just taking the the experience itself for mm-hmm. face value but going beyond that and I think that's also something you can do in literary experience if you literary criticism or theory read the experience of a character and then go beyond that what can that tell us about bigger things behind them but also sometimes I think I think with the TV show Orphan Black there was um, this one character who is gay and the way that the actor portrays him was criticized by a lot of people because they said it's so cliche and not all gay men are like that but then he said I know not all gay men are like that but who says that no gay men are like that and I found that a very good argument because we can never 
say everyone is like this or no one is like this because there are so many people and so many characters that maybe somebody who has experienced something like, I don't know, sexual harassment deals with it in one way and somebody deals with it in a completely different way and why would the one way be better than the other one? Mm-hmm. I think it depends on whether something is sort of strategically portrayed in a way to sort of corroborate a certain stereotype that's already so prevalent in society mm-hmm. or whether it's just one possible way of showing it. I think those are two different things. Mm-hmm. I think what you're also saying, it's um, just making me think that if I were to modify like my advice for uh, someone interested in writing, it would be write. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Because there's so many stories, there's so many different people yeah. and You know, we we've talked a bit about how it is how we do give an allowance to writing about different experiences, mm-hmm. but how you know some of us think it's still tied to who we are, and I think um, yeah, it's important that anyone, <clears throat> no matter who they are, even if they're you know a stereotype represented group, you know that doesn't mean you can't write. You know, I mm-hmm. think everyone should write their experience, and there is a lot of diversity within groups, and mm-hmm. to think that you know one author representing one group speaks for an entire nation of people you know like you were talking about leo is that's unrealistic we need more stories not just one really great perfect objective story i'm totally comfortable with having everyone an incredibly subjective mildly inaccurate story but when you look at a history it's supposed to be kind of a collection you know when you look at literature that doesn't mean one text it means you know what makes what builds a literature what builds a bookshelf you know and to expect for a writer to have the expectation that my book has it all like that's so much pressure i couldn't write so i would just say like write <laughs> if there's some fear in there that's cool <laughs> but like, <laughs> it probably will be because you're writing yeah. <laughs> that's just scary yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> i think that's a great note to end on <laughs> sorry <laughs> you wrapped it up very nicely all right so That's it for today. I think we we had a lot to talk about, and we could this we could do this again sometime. This was episode 17 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments, questions. You can reach us on Twitter, we're at PodUniverse, on Facebook, or on our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The guests for this discussion panel were Holly Sachel-Evans, Livia Regen, and Charlotte Zertz. On the editorial board for this episode was also Livia Regen. I hope you visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.